0: you my name is chris and i'm an alcoholic yes. and, uh, thank you monica for having me here and the group for all the welcomes and introductions and it's good to see a couple faces that i have known and uh Walt, thank you for sharing your experience strength and hope and welcome back william and uh and peter and all those who took chips um and our birthday don't we love birthdays whip, whip. That's absolutely and, and the chips i mean i just i i love to see it all you know i thought as i'm sitting looking at this podium like there was a minute man we weren't looking at podiums like this you know and to see this weathered kind of little podium and you know the group gather and it's uh it's cool i you know we went through a rough little patch being safer at home or whatever you want to call it you know during our you know our pandemic and um uh, I tell you, it really feels different. I've been in positions where I've seen people that I literally haven't seen in three and a half, four years, you know, and I give them a hug and I give them a different hug. It's like, it's like this really long hug and I get, you know, teary eyed and just, it's, uh, I don't know, it's, uh, things change. And, and that's what the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous fortunately give me a toolbox of ways to handle, you know, things like we just went through and, and the changes in life right? Because I didn't have a toolbox before I got to you guys, I can guarantee you that I had no toolbox, I had no book of life. Um, I'm a gal who, uh, you know, started down this path at, you know, a relatively young age. And, uh, you know, I was thinking, you know, like hearing your story, you know, you hear somebody who really didn't start until down here and had a chance to at at some level kind of grow up and know that you had those feelings of being uncomfortable and your own skin and you were a little scared, you were a little all this and a little all that, you know? And when, when you start picking up a drink at, you know, 10, 11 years old and other substances that, you know, enter your system, you know, it's bypass all that. And that's, you know, that's my story. And that's what I did. And, um, I didn't know, I really never experienced being uncomfortable in my own skin, knowing that that, you know, when I came to AA, I was like, well, I don't relate to that, you know, Um, because it was just, it was game on when I first took my first couple of, I liked what it did. I'm the person in the book where it says, you know, we like what alcohol does to us that effect produced by alcohol. And that's me. You know, um, I didn't have anything I was running away from. I didn't have a family that was all crazy. I didn't have a mom and dad that were fighting and screaming and yelling, you know, in our household. They were loving parents who wanted, you know, a wholesome little family that they could raise and do all good things by. And, uh, you know, we're good, hardworking people who gave me morals and values, you know, in the short amount of time that they had the opportunity to pass those on. Um <laughs> you know, a little structure in my life, introduced me to things that they thought would make me a well-rounded, you know, kid and growing up an adult, you know, as, as things, you know, went on and, and those kind of things were, you know, it's some, you know, mom took us to church. Dad was like, yeah, not a church guy, you know, mm-hmm. but mom took us to church and, you know, I went to girl scouts and campfire girls and those kind of things. And I will tell you at a girl my age very young, I found some of that kind of hokey you know I remember going to those things and I'm like oh this is like cornball what am I doing here you know <laughs> I mean I something I think was already brewing you know they say this disease is one right we have a spiritual malady combined you know both with this mental and this physical thing and I believe some of that was already brewing in me in a very early age you know where I'm like sitting in you know, making Indian eyes and hearing the stories about all the different things. And this should all be kind of fun. And I should be learning a lesson and happy to earn my little badge. And, you know, I'm thinking, I'd rather be over there doing that because they really look like they're having fun over there, you know, and that's it, you know, eight, nine years old. So there's, I guess there's no mistake that when I first picked up, you know, my first drink and it did what it did to me that, you know, that was my right? That was my kind of feeling. I wasn't feeling uncomfortable. I was just looking for more fun, right? Than what I was having. <clears throat> and so, um, uh, you know, eventually, I found that, you know, I seemed to gravitate to people who were a little bit older than me, uh, not necessarily hanging, you know, with my homies who were eight and nine, you know, I wanted to hang <laughs> with my next door neighbor who was, you know, 12 and 13. And she's wearing fishnets, and she's sneaking cigarettes and Watch And she's sneaking cigarettes, you know, and, and I'm thinking, okay, now here's cool. Here's fun. Here's, you know, that little bit of excitement and where that comes from. I have no idea, you know, because on the other hand, I'm just content. I don't know that I'm looking for anything like that. I'm really, I felt content in my life, but once I started to do some of that stuff, I saw that there was something that was waking up in me and, and, you know, and I wanted more of that. And, that seemed to be a theme all throughout my life. You know, it still is a theme all throughout my life. Um, I will tell you today, I made the, the decision yesterday. I would not go play pickleball today. Get the text. We got a slot, two hours, middle of the day. You coming? Courts are dry. <laughs> like, I'm there. <laughs> I got my taxes I'm trying to finish up, you know, and I got this table full of papers and there's part of me going, Really, just stay home and finish that up. You said you weren't going to go do this, you know? What you know where I was, right? The pickleball court. And um, um, but uh, so you have a little, you know, my parents, my my family, wonderful, wonderful people. I have two older brothers. Um, one who is no longer with us because of this disease, and um, I know he had a he had a shot at Alcoholics Anonymous, and he had people too you know, introduce him to this thing and whatnot. He just couldn't, he just couldn't, you know, he just couldn't for whatever reason. And, um, you know, that was a tough road to go. And I wish I still had that brother here today, but I don't. You know, the one thing that I do know is when my brother passed, I knew my brother was immediately at peace. He found a peace that I found in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, you know, he unfortunately just, you know, he's the guy, you know, the supreme sacrifice. Um, He didn't take his own life, but uh, you know, that's the supreme sacrifice. Um, And then I have uh, my middle brother who, my middle brother at some point in life, um, I remember I was, I don't know what grade I was in, he must have been in high school. And I was home, my parents were playing cards with some people they had over and uh, my brother's friend kept calling the house, you know can I talk to Bill? And he wanted to talk, my oldest brother was Bill. Can I talk to Bill? Can I talk to Bill? And he must've called, I don't know, eight times and I got the phone and finally he's like, I need to talk to your mom or dad." Well, my brother, Tom, my other brother had been drinking Old English 800 over at their house and got just, I guess, pretty blottoed and started, you know, falling around the house and breaking things. They told him he had to leave. And so nobody knew where he was and, you know, once he left. And so my dad went looking for him, found him in a field somewhere he had passed out I think he was maybe 15. And, um, and I remember when he came home, my dad just kind of threw him outside on a chaise lounge, because he's like, you know, I'm not having him get sick in the house, right? And just you just sleep it off out there. We had this little patio. And, uh, and that brother told me at some point in time in his life, he loved what happened to him when he drank. And he knew is all he wanted was more sounds familiar Um, but he also knew that he wanted to make this big life and big career for himself and he's the guy who stopped you know stopped in time just said you know i'm never going to drink again and he never drank again um i don't yeah to this day he's never drank again but my brother has an obsession with money and power like nobody's business you know and so he's just kind of replaced it and i see the the problems that that's caused in his life and his life with his children because you know, there's a lot of control and a lot of things that go on with that. You know, um, so it's definitely a family disease in my, you know, in my home. My mom was a recovering alcoholic. 16, uh, she had 16 years when she passed away. Um, but I didn't see alcoholism in my home growing up. I knew they liked to have fun and have their friends over and play cards and you know do stuff like that. But alcoholism, I didn't see because by the time I started drinking. Um, and was out there doing my thing, it was then that my mom's disease also, you know, like really, uh, you know, got lit up as her daughter's out there doing all this craziness and whatnot. And uh, I think that became her, you know, really a much more of a coping skill for her and her alcoholism really got. Um, But, uh, you know, I was a kid who had a lot of promise. I had, um, you know, I, I think most of us sitting in these rooms were really smart people. How many have heard that, you know, if you just applied yourself, you just applied yourself, if you just do the work, right? You know, and we hear it in AA as well. If you just do the work, you know, your life's gonna turn around. Um, and, you know, I was that kid. I was a good kid up until when? When I started, you know, using and drinking. And, I, and, and those kind of came hand in hand with me when I was, uh, you know, fifth and sixth grade. Um, uh, and uh, you know everything changed everything changed what can i tell you I, you know i would lie to you if i said it all went on and everything was fine but everything changed i got into my uh seventh and eighth grade had our dances and i thought they were pretty cool except uh they were only cool for a minute and then i wanted to be out there doing what i wanted to do where i wanted to do it with who i wanted to do it and you were no longer cool right and so we'd stash the booze and we would stash whatever else we need and we would find a way out the door and we would go do you know and have the fun that we wanted to have, you know, because I found my people, right? We all find our people. Um, I found my little tribe that I was hanging with back in those days. And so go off and have this fun. And I saw, looking back, I didn't, I I knew it somewhat at the time. I knew it more when I got in high school that things were changing. My grades were changing. You know, the reports, you know, that teachers were kind of writing on those little notes. We used to have handwritten believe it or not, handwritten report cards. Um, and they would you know, keep attendance in a way that I got away with a lot of stuff. Today, I don't think you can, from what I hear. There's a lot of electronic attendance and things and things get to parents really quick. But I used to play beat the game all the time. You know, and I did beat the game for a very long time. I think most of us are master, master game players um you know we could pull off some of the world's best heists I have no, I have no doubt about it we are master game players because we have something to protect and that's our right to party and to drink that's that was for me my right to party and to drink and uh, at all costs you know game on and so I get into high school um I'm on college prep classes and you know for that first year and then and then I found a bigger tribe You know, that all these schools come together and I found a much bigger tribe. And it was really, it was, you know, just time to party. And I found every excuse around everything because what I didn't know then was that the drink and alcoholism already had taken hold of, you know, of this person. And I had no idea of this, you know, threefold illness that had already taken hold. And um, it was, You know, I hear a lot of people say that, you know, right away, they knew that they were drinking, like I said earlier, these uncomfortable feelings, these I don't feel like I fit in, I can't, I don't feel like I can do this, I don't feel like I'm smart enough, I don't, whatever. Those things were kind of bypassed for, like I said, but I started to create a lot of problems for myself in the high school years, and I knew it, so I started to have a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of lies, a lot of stealing, a lot of cheating, a lot of lying you know, and all that stuff. And that's where I started to drink to kind of cover up some of those feelings for myself. Like, because I knew what I'm doing. I'm looking in the mirror. I'm seeing the faces of my friends, you know, that give me that, you know, and what's up with you? Like, you know, back off a little bit. Um, or, you know, we're all going to party and, you know, I'm like, oh man, you know, and you get that like, oh man, you know, they really don't want you there anymore because you're taking party to a limit that, you know, these people don't want to do anymore so I find a different tribe um and needless to say I did not make it through high school I ran away before uh I had the you know the opportunity for my parents to receive the notice that I wasn't going to graduate and I packed what I thought I needed in hefty bags and had my friend pull up in her Monte Carlo and threw those hefty bags in the car and I'm off you know I'm not very far from my house and uh Uh, And you know I found people that were doing all kinds of fun stuff. And so I got a job right away and I just I started having more fun, what can I tell you, but the disease of alcoholism has me in its grips. And you know there wasn't anything that I ever did that didn't end up in, you know, you've had one too many days off. or. The car got wrecked again or there's another parking ticket on the car or now there's a warrant or now there's you know and all these things started to happen to me very early on and these are just the consequences really of my drinking and I have no idea of that but I start to get little you know I start to get hints right you know that all this stuff there was something that told me inside that if I just didn't party so much like some of this stuff would go away but what I didn't know is that I didn't have an off, I didn't have an off switch. I I just didn't have an off switch. So everything I did between that age and by the time I got to Alcoholics Anonymous at 25, I'm telling you what it was just it was kind of a losing uphill battle all the time for me because I never really you know I had hopes and dreams as a girl I truly did you know those are the kind of parents and things they just had hopes and dreams for myself. I saw other people accomplishing. I saw people go on to college and do good things and buy cars and pay their insurance and, you know, save up for a trip and go off and do this thing. And none of that was ever my experience. You know, um, I just couldn't do it because (laughs) I was spending an enormous amount of money on all the things that I was doing, all the partying that I was doing. I'd try to join the ski club and I'd, you know, I'd go off and do a few ski trips with you. And then I just couldn't put the money together to do the next ski trip, you know, or whatever it may be. But, um, Uh, so by the time I was 25 years old, my life was really, um, you know, i had been through a series, I think I had 18 jobs between the time I was 17 and 25 years old, you know, and I will tell you, none of them were, you know, some of them were just a little part time job here or there, or a part time job on top of a full time job. Um, and, uh. The last place that I ended up um, when I was 24 years old was with an aerospace company. I was smart enough to take letterhead from the last company I worked for Xerox. And I wrote a lovely letter of recommendation for myself so that I could hand that off to, you know. I mean, people, we, we know the game, right? And um, and so I got into this company. And who is it that talks about uh, Bob Zantz? if anybody ever heard him talk, you know, about, he goes, we interview really well, you know, we just don't know how to show up though, you know, but I would show up, I'd show up as many days as I possibly could. Um, I was probably, uh, four out of, you know, four times out of the month on a Monday, I'm sure, you know, I was late. And, uh, so that means every Monday of the month, I'm, I'm late to work. Um, and, uh, You know, pretty soon I find myself finding ways to have a drink at my desk or finding myself ways to have, you know, whatever at my desk and some other accoutrement at my desk. Now, mind you, I'm working in an aerospace company that has government contracts, right? And and these people can get fined very heavily for doing these crazy kind of things, but it no longer enters my mind that there's a problem with this. I remember crashing my last car. My dad's like, where's your car? I'm like, well, dad, my car, it's just so bad. I left it on the street. You left it on the street? Like, I remember my father's face still, you know, looking at me like, are you out of your mind? You know, and I'm like, Let pick it for parts. I don't know, dad, you know? And he's just like, God, kid, you know, like, I just don't know what's happened to you, you know? And that's what I had, you know, that's where it took me, you know? And getting myself into jail a couple of times for things, you know? And um, uh, my last time my dad picked me up from jail, I was in a blue chenille bathrobe. Um, uh, I had, uh, this is embarrassing to even say, in my car I had, I was smoking a crap ton of PCP. That's why my brain is so scattered to this day. I'm in of it. uh, do an, an awful lot of freebase coke. And I was plotting a revenge for a woman that I had worked with. And I was going to sugar her gas tank. So I had a baggie full of sugar. I know it's embarrassing. A baggie full of sugar that you know, the cop spies with his flashlight when he pulls me over with the ether smelling car that's going the wrong way, you know, on the street. And um And they think they've got a bag of coke and, you know, and me, I'm like cracking up inside like, ah, you know, they think they've got a bag of coke. Well, you know, guess who landed in jail in her blue chenille bathrobe that night. Um, You know, um, so it's just, you know, I'm not the girl my parents planned on. I was the last child. And this is, I can tell you for certain, this is not what they planned for their little girl. I can tell you that for certain. Um, And this is while I'm at this aerospace company. So you can see where my life is at. Well, it comes to it all comes to a head one day where I just I am sick of living the way I'm sick the way I'm living. But beyond that, I'm to a point where I'm really afraid that I'm not going to live much longer. Is really what it came down to. And um, things were happening that were just not you know they were they were just not good you know. Uh, ending up in hospital rooms and. People pulling guns and, you know, stuff like that. That isn't, it isn't the life that I planned for myself. That wasn't part of the hopes and dreams list that I had going on. I can guarantee that it surely wasn't part of the hopes and dreams list that my parents had going on for their little girl. And, you know, thank God that, you know, this all came to this head in this way. And I knew I'm going to, I knew I'm out of one more job once again. And I really am kind of had that moment of clarity, like you really need to get some help. And I had talked to somebody at my work before and said, I had a friend who I knew who may need help one day. And where do they go? And, um, and I called that woman and she gave me the number and I said, you know, yes, that's me. And so I went and I met up with this guy, Frank Huddleston. They said, at first they said, you know, we don't have anybody here today. You know, and I told them I was at that point. I said, then I'm going to sleep at my desk tonight because I cannot leave one more night. I can't go out and do the things that I have been doing, places that I have been doing them. I can't. And this woman heard the desperation in my voice. And she said, "Honey, just stay where you're at, and I'll have somebody call you." And she had this man call me, and he said, "If you can give me an hour, I'll be back to this building." And I went and I met with him. What I didn't know at the time, he was a pioneer in the, you know, what they in the EAP program, employee assistance programs at the time, and and a lot of these big corporations had a lot of alcoholics. You know, the book talks about that. You know, they had a lot of people who were heavy drinkers or alcoholics, and um, and so they had formed these things called employee assistance programs. And I went and I met with this man. And I told him what was going on. And he said, can you, can, you know, stop for just a minute and let me share a little bit about myself with you. And he told me a little bit of his story. And he was the first person ever because I'd been to counselors, I had intervention. I've had, you know, we had uh, police officers who were friends of the family who came and tried to do the, you know, brought emotional appeal, you know, all those things. And when Frank shared with me what he shared with me, He shared it in in a way that I knew he knew. I knew he knew exactly where I was at. And he said, there's a place for people like you and people like me. And I will tell you, I went to Alcoholics Anonymous. I worked the 12 Steps. And he said, and my life has never been better. And I believe you can do it too. They were also putting people into hospital programs at the time. and, And so I went into this hospital program. And, uh, you know, I spent five weeks in there and thank God, the first three books they gave me were the big book, the 12 and 12 and a non-conference approved 24 hour a day book, mm-hmm. you know, and, the, and, a, and a notebook filled with notepaper. Right. And I went in there and, um, and I will tell you when I, when I checked in, um, I had my bathing suit, nail polish books to read. Um, I'm, I don't even know what else I had smoked PCP in my little square back car that was out in the parking lot now whose hatchback has been hit by her drunk girlfriend you know uh, a friend of mine when we were out drinking one night you could no longer like put oil into it unless you put a hook i mean you know that's where my life was at it had stolen tags on it you know because i used to steal your tags because i couldn't go register my own car because i had warrants right and um so if you're out there and your tags were stolen i don't know if you live down here it wasn't me i can tell you that I'm a beach girl up, you know, up that way. Um, and so I go into this place and of course they set aside all those things that I wasn't going to need and gave me those books, that notebook and said, here's really all you're going to need while you're here. And I got put to work. Right. And I was introduced really to Alcoholics Anonymous and I am so grateful for that to this day. I am so grateful. You know, we had meetings, I think five nights out of the week and we got taken out, you know, in the short bus to a meeting off campus and, uh, um, you know, and I got to meet all of you and I got to see the light in your eyes, which I hadn't seen the light in people's eyes in a long time. You know, I was hanging with a lot of losers like myself and, um, and I got to see the light in your eyes and people who were coming and they had their families and they'd celebrate a little bit, and, you know, they were just happy. They were happy, joyous, and is what they were. And so, um, I wanted what you had right off the bat. You know, I knew that I wanted what you had. I didn't know. I really didn't know if I could do it though. I really didn't know because I'm, I'm like not a full ball player, you know, every getting of the ball game. You know, I get so far. It doesn't matter what I've done up to this point. I get so far in the game and then it's just like, okay, I'm out. You know, I'm done. Let's move on to the next thing, right? Let's move on to the next thing. And so it was all I could really do was hope that this wasn't going to be the case with this. And uh, slowly by slowly, um, you know, I got introduced to somebody that kind of was mirrored what a sponsor would be. That was one of the things they did. You know, when you're out of here, you're going to find a sponsor. We're going to have somebody with you by your side these five weeks and before you go, they're going to help set you up into meetings that are on the outside and, you know sit and read the book with you and all those kind of things well my mind is a jumbled mess you know i have people sit and read the book a lot with me um because i'm just like i'm not getting it you know i just it was it took me a while for this mind to really really settle down and start to comprehend i still don't think i have good comprehension skills and i don't know if it's because all the stuff i put in my head. bless you <laughs> my, my my body uh, earlier or not you know and um uh you know and that's okay i've learned i've learned how to deal with that um because you have you have given me every life skill that i missed out on and didn't get you know growing up every single life skill um and you know the working of these steps they're you know we hear talked about all the time you know the spiritual principles and and they are embedded you know in this work as we go along in these steps And so to, to really, you know, I think when I walked in the doors of that place, I understood in some way that I was powerless, but to sit with somebody and go through those first three steps and finally understand what it means to, you know, to be powerless, that my life is unmanageable. And um, I wasn't afraid of the God thing. You know, I had a grandmother who was just, uh, this woman, her faith she never preached to me but what I saw she had a little place that she always had her prayer book she sat and said her rosary and she did it every single day she raised her kids she lost her husband early and I saw that this was just a woman that walked with and all the stories I heard about her I knew she was a woman that walked with the faith I didn't know that at the time you know, but I know that looking back, and I remember, you know, what a steady example that woman always was to me. Um, and, you know, the little bit of church that I had had, I didn't get infused with, you know, you're going to hell, because all the things you did or thought, or, you know, whatever it may be, I knew that there was something out there. And so that was not a big leap for me to have to cross. I know it is for many, many people, you know, and our book, We Agnostics, Oh, my God, that is such a powerful chapter for those who are having difficulty, you know, in that area. Set aside. It just plain tells you, you know, set aside everything right that you think, whether it's been your infusion of some religious program, whether it's been ideas somebody else gave you. Just put it all aside for right now and let's try something new. let, let yourself get introduced and let it, you know, kind of uh, morph in a way within you by working these steps and see what happens, that's all it is, can you be open to that, you know, and um, man, what beautiful stories I've heard out of people, and things I've seen happen in that journey for many people, Um, so those first three steps were pretty easy, you know, when I got here, now the fourth step, what, You know, that seemed like an awful lot of work, you know, but uh, I finally picked up that, you know, 400 pound pencil and my sponsor saw that I was a seven inning ball player right off. She said, here's the date, you know, just have it done because we're meeting and you're reading, you know, and it was like, I needed that. I needed people who could see through my BS right before I even had an opportunity to get the BS out. And, um, and she did that. And, uh, you know, and I think if you can get that far and you can get the inventory done and you can, you know, start to see some of these things that drive you, some of these behaviors and these motives and these wacky ideas. We got the wackiest ideas of anybody, you know. And I don't even know I have wacky ideas, right? I think my ideas are spot on, you know. <laughs> and um, I don't even know that, you know, some of the stuff is driving me in ways that. Oh, we call these shortcomings. Oh, we call these character defects. Oh, oh. And I start to incorporate this God that I'm building a relationship with and say, you know what? Learn that I have to do the footwork. I can't just, I don't know. I don't think I can pray those things away, but I certainly have developed enough, enough trust in something other than me. Even if it were, you know, at the time I've had people, let me just give these to you right now. Okay, just lay them here. Let's see what happens. You're ready to surrender those. Okay. You know, and, and start to move through these steps, start to make these little amends, these big amends, those amends that are really scary. Sit with somebody, talk them through, do the cards. You know, I've done all of that over the course of time. Um, do the cards, make sure I know what I'm going to make an amends for. It's not just a case of, I'm sorry. I see that as something much bigger than an I'm sorry. I see it really as I'm amending something. I'm amending my behavior, my thoughts, my ways, so that I'm not going to cause the same harm to you or anybody else. Again, you know, it's almost like I'm making a little pact about this. It's not just a simple, I'm sorry. We have other steps that follow that are for the spot check inventories, you know, in the moment I know I've done something harmful. Go ahead and do that. You know, take care of it then. You know, my life exploded because I started to do these things. I had no idea that I was in for the C ticket ride. You hear people say that, but you know, I have no idea because I'm just, you know, I just come to you as a just a loser, right? And I can't get anywhere in life because of my drinking and drugs. And all of a sudden, I'm getting a promotion at work, and all of a sudden this is happening. Now All of a sudden I seem to buy a car. I love Alcoholics Anonymous too. I got to tell you, I have, I am so grateful that there has never been anything that has compelled me to leave Alcoholics Anonymous or compelled me to um, go anywhere else. But the answer in my life for these 12 steps and the development of my spiritual program, I will say that it's a big, big, big part of my life. My journey with this thing, don't let the word God scare you. I think I look at the word God, just it's that it's a three letter word that I, that I kind of associate with that power that is out there. That's other than me. Right. And God's just an easy term to use. It's a word that a lot of us were introduced to. Um, and so, you know, I'm going on down this path and you start to get people that you work with as sponsees and sit and read the book with them. And wow, that's a whole nother kind of magic. You know, when you're sitting and you're watching somebody else's eyes light up and their life come to, you know, take a full circle experience and things start to happen and change, you know, for them as well. You know, and I did the, you know, I got married in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and, had a great 25 no that, that's the lie it was a great 15 year run a really sucky 10 years and it was over and um, uh, you know but it, uh, you know there's a whole nother level of growing up you know in a relationship with another people we did couples meetings and you know couples retreats and all different things like that trying to take these principles into our lives because what does it tell us you know, relationships are our hardest, you know, the hardest place we had to, well, I'm in relationship all over the place with my husband, with my parents, with the people I work with, with, oh, so that means everywhere, right? Yes. So I have to take this stuff into every facet of my life. And you know what, it worked, it worked. It worked in my marriage for a long time. It certainly worked, you know, cleaning up the wreckage of my past with my parents and then starting to apply these principles, you know, our parents are our parents. And, Um, you know, they're a little bit older and whatever, you know, people have all different conflicts. I really didn't have big conflicts with my parents, but boy, there are a lot of people that do, but if I just apply a kind of what there's, a in the 12 and 12, um, you know, it just, there's a line that talks about, I'm not good at where these things are in the book. You know, if I just align myself to the, what is, Instead of trying to fight you know and we get to see all these things like, oh wow, well, I'm kind of fighting to get this my way. Why can't I just be okay with what is? What is it you know and that's what I get to look at causes and conditions outside the four step and just in in relationship to other what's causing this you know a little strife or whatnot. Why am I you know in this group at work and I'm feeling uncomfortable and I start to apply these, these principles and just form myself a union with, you know, with you and everything seems to fall in place. And what I've learned over time, that's because I've developed a trust in something outside myself. And that is, you know, the spiritual life that I, you know, get to live. I have a God that is very, very, very big. Um, I never went back and got the education. And yet, uh, you know, I worked my tail off at work and I worked myself into you know, many, many good opportunities. And I stayed with that company, believe it or not, I had never stayed with the company. I don't know more than 30 minutes, you know, but, uh, you know, I stayed with this aerospace company for like 34 years. Right. And, um, uh, that's, you know, amazing, <laughs> amazing. And, um, you know, and I have been led into other things since then that are just had nothing to do with me. You know, we, we, I have gotten to listen to that inner voice and those little things and take the lead on things and just do the work along the way and amazing things have fallen out of, you know, uh, just amazing things. Um, I'll tell you here, you know my I never mentioned my sobriety day April twenty seventh, 1984. And, um, you know, I am grateful for every single day of it. And I still look at this sobriety thing like it is one day at a time. Today is my gift. Today is my gift, you know, in sobriety. And I am just as likely as anybody new or longer time than I to walk out the store. And it says there may come the time, you know, where there is no mental defense against that first drink. And I am very aware of that because I have seen that happen a lot in the years, you know, that I've had the privilege to be around. And I will guarantee you this morning when I sat to do my prayers, I am a regular with that. It has produced so many benefits for me. It is like I don't leave home without it, you know, Um, and uh, with, you know, reading my books, saying my prayers, what do these things mean to me? Um. And it has grown that uh, in depth and breath, you know, this, this life that I get to live in the spiritual way of life um, in depth and breath. And, uh, you know, I say to God, you know, thank you for, you know, that this morning I don't, I didn't wake up with, what used to drive me was like a monster living inside of me. It was literally like a monster. Like I'd wake up going, I am not today. I'm just not, please. I don't care no matter what, I'm not, you know, and by noon, you know, or before, I'd be off and running again, right? And, um, and so, uh, you know, I ask for that every single day, please give me another 24 because I don't ever want that to get lost on me. Um, you know, I have amazing friendships Friday night, I got to sit and have dinner with people that I met in my very first year of sobriety, you know, and uh, I, I don't have friendships from prior to, you know, I just I don't I have some acquaintances that every now and then I'll get together with or I'll see. But, you know, I burned all those bridges, I, you know, that's the place where alcoholism took me, you know, and now I have people, you know, that I've been friends with, you know, for 38, 39 years, that's freaking amazing to me, you know, they would trust me with their life, you know, I've had a lot of stuff go on and, you know, in, in my life, as we all have, and there isn't a step of the way that, you know, my friends haven't been there for me, I haven't been there for them. And I don't know where else you get this, you know, I have a relationship with that brother of mine, you know, it was a little rocky for a while. And just recently, really, I need another inventory on him. And I saw some stuff that I'd never seen before. You know, this is my own brother. And I have a lot of angst over what's going on with his kids who I am very close with and how they're separated and did not have relationships with him and all the family strife that, that has caused and trouble it holidays because you all can't be together because this one's pissed at that one and you know all that kind of stuff right and I did this other inventory you know what I saw me myself had been withholding my love from my own brother been withholding part of me from my own brother not having a true relationship with him you know that I would only take it so far because I'm basing it on what's happening in his life with his kids You know, I get to go over to Arizona and make an amends with him. I want to do it face-to-face. I don't want to do it over the phone. I want to have a deeper conversation because I hope our days going forward get to change because of that. You know, that's what you've taught me. You know, that's an amends with him. I'm willing to amend my behavior and do something different with him. You know, I pick up the phone very often now and call him, and we have better conversations. And, you know, I've separated out some of that other stuff and, You know, those are the gifts that you, how can can you describe that to somebody? Those are the gifts that you have given me. And all that stuff gets taken into every area of my life, really. Um, uh, You know, to have intimate, dear conversations with people. My bestest friends, you know, both of them, both of them have cancer right now. You know, to sit and be able to talk with, you know, and you start to face, you know, Tim was mentioning something. We know the days ahead are a little bit different than the days behind. And you start to look at your life different, you know, and I, you know, I've gone through another recent kind of first, second, and third step. I'm single. I don't have kids. I don't have any relatives here in this state. It looks different for me. You're my family. You know, what do I do with the rest of my days in this life? You know, and you start to look at those things and ask yourself, and I get to apply these things. I had to go back and do another first, second, and third step, because in some way, shape, or form, I was having a lot of angst about this. Why? Because I'm trying to figure out some great plan. I've never been a freaking planner. I can plan to get to the pickleball court at 12, but that's about, you know, I'm just not a big planner, you know, but what I know, if I look at the evidence over my shoulder, everything I have left to my higher power, everything has turned into some sort of gold for me everything you know and so i you know it's like all right god you know i have this you know this nice house i live in a nice area i don't know where i'm going to be tomorrow but i think you probably do you know and i've taken this different first second and third step again you know and realizing that i'm trying to manage stuff that right now isn't you know doesn't either need to be managed or is not in my hands you know and wow all of a sudden i felt another way to relief just come off me just be here and be present for your friends who are going through this stuff you know and so that's what I said in the very beginning when, you know, we get a toolbox to, I think, to apply this stuff into every single area of our lives that we go forward. And that certainly is, you know, what I'm going to keep doing because it, beyond the fact that it, uh, it produces fantastic results, for most part, when I put my head on my pillow at night, I am very content. I have a lot of joy in my heart have a very clear mind and I can just drift off to sleep. And I never had that before, you know, or I've had it a long time in sobriety, but I guarantee you before I came here and you know, when you're getting rid of all the consequences in those first years, it's a little sketchy, but now, you know, that's a beautiful way to end the day and to be able to just go spend another good day. God, and that 24 hours that I asked for, I think I have a shot at getting to midnight tonight. So thank you all for being here for me. And, uh, <laughs>